A Canadian deep-sea miner, the Metals Company, has announced the completion of a controversial mining trial in the Pacific Ocean. The trial was approved by the Legal and Technical Commission of the International Seabed Authority, an intergovernmental body of 167 member states and the European Union established under the 1982 UN Convention on the Law of the Sea. The approval was condemned by Pacific countries in September and environmental protection organisations opposing the industry called it actual mining being disguised as research. In a newsletter on Tuesday, the metals company announced that its subsidiary, Nauru Ocean Resources Incorporated, or NORI, and their offshore partner, All Seas, had completed scientifically monitored collection system tests in their NORI D lease area within the Clarion Clipperton Zone. It said the mining trial involved engineers driving a pilot collective vehicle across over 80 kilometres of the seafloor, collecting approximately 4,500 tonnes of nodules and bringing over 3,000 tonnes up a 4.3-kilometre riser system to the surface production vessel Hidden Gem. Environmental impact assessments were also carried out during the tests and follow-up assessments will also be conducted. With me now is Dr. Michael Clark, the Environmental Program Manager for the Metals Company and Nori. Welcome on Pacific Waves, Dr. Clark. With the testing that's just been completed, what kind of things were actually done in terms of the scientific monitoring and environmental impact assessments? Okay, so as you said, we've just completed the first um, polymetallic nodule system test that's been conducted in 50 years. There was a smaller scale test done back in the 70s. And um, after that test was done, it was realized there was no regulatory system in place. So everything was put on a long pause. And here we are 50 years later, just kind of um, taking taking up from what happened back in the 70s. So people have thought about this for a long time. Um, so our collector system consists of a collector vehicle, which crawls along the seabed a lot like a big vacuum cleaner and picks the nodules up using... Um, nozzles at the front of the machine, which utilize what we call the Coanda effect. So they actually shoot a jet of water at the nodule to dislodge it. And then the as the water moves back into the machine, the nodule is carried with it. And this is a design feature that we've um, developed to minimize the amount of sediment disturbance. Once the nodule is in the machine, it gets then put in what, what I can only describe as a big um washing machine so it gets put in the barrel that spins round this separates the nodules from 98% of the sediment at the seabed and that sediment is um exited through the rear of the vehicle the nodules then go up a riser pipe and the way we make the nodules go up the riser pipe is we actually pump air into the riser pipe at approximately 2000 meters from the surface vessel and this creates a partial vacuum in the riser pipe, a lot like sucking soda through a straw. The nodules rise up the riser pipe over four kilometers, which is a phenomenal diff uh, distance for a pipe when you think about it, to the surface vessel. At the surface vessel, they go into another big washing machine called the cyclone separator. And that separates the nodules from the remaining bit of sediment and water that's been entrained in the pipe. The nodules then go into the hold of the vessel and the entrained water and the little bit of sediment that went up the pipe 
is then released back into the water column. For the purposes of the collector test, this was released at 1,200 meters, and that's to get it below what we call the mesopelagic zone, which is that really productive zone where most of the primary production occurs. We do have the option to release that much lower if we need to, and part of the collector test was to um, determine what the optimum depth was for that release of the midwater sediment. In terms of the environmental studies that we've been doing during the collector test, we've been monitoring and characterizing the midwater plume. So how does the midwater plume disperse? Um, what is the chemical composition of the midwater plume? We've been doing the same for the plume that occurs on the bottom. So as I said, when the nodules are initially picked up and they're spun in the internal washing machine, um, most of the sediment over 95, 98% goes out the back of the collector vehicle. So we've been characterizing that plume. How far does it spread? Where does it settle? What's the composition of it? We've also been monitoring things like noise production of the system, light production. Um, we've been uh, collecting samples of organisms before we mine an area. And then we mine the area and then we go back and we collect those samples again to see what impact it's had on the organisms that both that live in the nodules and live in the sediment. So there's been a whole array of different physical and biological studies that have accompanied the collector test that we just completed. Is there ongoing environmental impact assessments after the procedures now completed? Absolutely. So the area that we've just um, that we've just conducted the test on will that will become what we call an impact reference zone. So this is a zone that we will go back to um, on a regular basis over the life of the mine, which will be like 30 years. So over the next 30 years, we will go back to this area and we'll monitor how the organisms are recovering over time. And that information will be absolutely invaluable to science because that that will help answer some of the big questions, you know, on what recovery rates are, um, what how how does an area adapt after a disturbance. So yes, the answer to your question is yes. There'll be long term monitoring um, following the test. Um. So so some of the the opponents to this on the science side are saying mm. like the ocean has been hit so hard by by activities like the deep sea tailings, um, dumping, pollution, overfishing, all of these things, why add another stressor to all of that to the ocean? What, what would you say to that sort of thinking? So nearly all those stresses that you mentioned and, and, and that are brought up happen in basically shallow waters. So they're all happening on the continental shelves. Um, thousands of kilometers away from the deep ocean where we're operating so any stress that we produce is highly unlikely to add cumulatively to the stresses that are being um that are being applied by those industries that you mentioned on the in the continental shelf areas um and i think what the the actual benefits that we'll get in terms of curtailing greenhouse gas emissions and supporting um, the green transition will um, outweigh any, any impacts that we do have in the deep ocean. So I really don't think that we will be adding significantly to the current stresses on the ocean. I think things like mining in the continental shelf, absolutely not. Um, 
deep sea trawling in continental shelves, which happens again and again annually. Uh, one thing to remember about deep sea mining is it only happens once. We go, we collect the nodules, and then we leave, and that area remain, then remains untouched. So I'm, from my perspective, I really don't think that any additional stresses that are added by deep sea mining um, will significantly um, contribute to the cumulative impact from the stresses that are already occurring in the more shallow waters and on the continental shelves. The full extended interview with Dr. Michael Clark was too long for this program, but will be available on our website, rnzi.com, under the individual segments of this Pacific Waves podcast episode. Still on the metals company completing its Pacific trials, Greenpeace Oceans campaigners on Thursday peacefully confronted the deep-sea mining ship Hidden Gem off the coast of Manzanillo, Mexico, as it returned to port from the Clarion-Clipperton zone. One of the biggest vessels of its type in the world, Greenpeace Mexico activists met the Hidden Gem in kayaks, holding Stop Deep Sea Mining banners, while Greenpeace Aotearoa campaigner James Hita delivered a cease and desist message to the captain of the Hidden Gem via radio. I spoke with Greenpeace Aotearoa Deep Sea Mining campaigner James Hita in Mexico during the early hours of Friday morning, beginning by asking for his initial reaction to the news that the trials had been completed. Yeah, um, no, we're really disappointed that the metals company has called this a success. For us, it's a really huge loss. Uh, and I really felt that yesterday when I was out and, and saw the hidden gem in person, it's a very far, far-fetched reality uh, to the sleek, white, clean, green-looking machines that they are trying to show the world. Uh, the reality is they're big mining ships and mining machines. The fact that they were allowed to do this, does that send some worrying signals in terms of the direction the ISA is headed? Yeah, it sends some really worrying signals, Kuroi. Um It shows us that the ISA is willing to let these companies do what they wish uh, and that the ISA isn't interested in developing regulations that are robust and backed by science, but rather that fit the narrative and fit the roadmap that mining companies are laying out instead of our people, the ones who truly care for the health of the ocean and the health of this planet. I've managed to talk to the head sort of scientist in charge of the monitoring and all of that. And one of one of the big things that he said that's, that struck me was, he said all of all of the scientists involved in the monitoring were allowed and fully independent to use the data and research and publish it in whatever way they saw fit. Is is that your sense of the monitoring going on around these things? It's a really hard position that we're in um, at the moment because we have contact with many individuals across the whole project. And not many of those individuals feel safe to speak out um, against this industry. And hopefully in the coming days or the coming weeks, we should see one or two of them do so. Um, but until then and until they feel safe, uh, we're, in a, we're in a really tough position where it's hard to speak out against the lies that the metals company are portraying. 
Now, you, you, as you've said, have, have been to see the hidden gem, the, the vessel that was used in these trials, and have managed to, I understand, make a peaceful protest? Yeah, so um, yesterday we intercepted the hidden gem off the coast of Manzanillo, where I am right now, in Mexico. Uh, and we did that alongside activists from Greenpeace Mexico as well. Uh, so we intercepted the ship, which just returned from this trip where... Uh, you know, it mined uh, 3,600 tons of polymetallic nodules of minerals. Uh, but we're here, you know, delivering a message of protest to call on the metals company to cease and desist. It's a dangerous project. The ocean is in crisis worldwide, uh, but especially to Moana Nui Akiwa. Um, you know, the Pacific Ocean is at risk and therefore our people's way of lives, uh, our livelihoods, tourism, fisheries, all of the Pacific economy is at risk by extractive industries like this. And, you know, this company is just trying to do this for its own profit. There's no other reason. Uh, and, you know, the movement to stop deep sea mining is growing. I'm proud to stand with my brothers and sisters. Uh, you know, we've got governments changing positions or forming strong positions like Aotearoa New Zealand calling for a conditional moratorium. Germany calling for a proportionary pause, uh, the French president calling for a total ban. Um, and that's all off the back of amazing work by the alliance formed by Palau, Samoa, Fiji, Micronesia, uh, backing a, a moratorium as well. Quite interested by that mention that you did there of the the messaging around this. Uh, uh, two things that were came through for me in speaking with the, the metals company was one they were saying that the damage that they were causing in the areas they were mining was far less. That was the comparison that they were making than any of the land-based mining going on. One, two, they were saying that there was a need for these 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 metals for the green transition. What what, what do you think of that kind of messaging? Yeah, so um, you know it's really hard to compare. Uh, land-based mining and ocean mining. They're different ecosystems. Uh, they're, they're completely different. And, you know, we as Greenpeace support a move away from extractive industries on both land and at sea. And, yeah, I'll just reiterate, like I do often, that this company is set to make millions, if not billions of dollars if this industry succeeds. So they need a reason to justify that destruction. And the metals company press, um, you know, their story, their narrative is just greenwash. There isn't a need for deep sea mining. In fact, you know, we have seen a growing number of significant companies like Google and Samsung SDI, Rivian, Volvo, uh, signing a business statement, committing not to use metals and minerals from the deep sea. They wouldn't do that unless they were confident that that wouldn't affect their supply and demand. So there's just no argument there. It's greenwash and it's designed to justify their destruction.